So glad to see you tonight as we come again to spend time in God's Word. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to Genesis chapter 1 to begin tonight. Tonight we'll be finishing our series together on evangelism. As we've been considering what I have called a biblical framework for evangelism. And I hope as we have gone through this series that it has helped you as it has helped me. I know it's been very helpful in just clarifying some of my own thoughts and understanding in regards to evangelism. And it's even prompted me to even think through other areas of the church. And that we always do things within the biblical framework what God's Word gives us. Because I know, even for myself, that I need those type of reminders. Because it's easy just to do church week after week, month after month, year after year, and sometimes forget why it is we do what we do, and how we're supposed to do what we do. And beyond that, I know that we all, including myself, need to consistently keep in our minds the biblical framework for how we do those things because, beloved, there's just a natural pull in our heart and in our flesh to pull us towards the world and the ways of the world and the wisdom of the world and the means of the world. Not only that, we have the constant bombardment of every new kind of fad that comes out to the church. That comes out saying this is the next great thing. This is the next best thing for the church. Whether it's in evangelism or in worship or, or in discipleship. And just your experience. Somehow it's going to revolutionize the church. But I think sometimes if we ever just step back and be honest with ourselves... Most of the times, those things are just simply fast that come and go, and they don't leave a lasting impact. So it's hard. It's hard to stay within the framework of God's Word and not to color outside of the lines. It's hard at times, especially when just staying within a biblical framework is not popular. It's not what most people really want. It's not what most people are really looking for. And sadly, beloved, I'll just tell you, what makes it even more difficult is that times, even from our own convention, we have things coming out that go outside the biblical framework of what God's Word says. It's not that we are to be against progress or to be against creativity. God created us to be creative people. But yet, we're to be creative within the framework of God's Word, the framework of Scripture. What I'm trying to say to you tonight is before we look into this last piece of the frame that we want to consider in regards to our evangelism, that sometimes I think we just need to step back and ask ourselves, are we just doing the things that we know? The simple, sound, ordinary aspects of church life as a Christian. 
Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's not that we're really in need of a new program, some new thing to come along. But really, we just need to do the simple, ordinary things that we know God's Word teaches. For an example, let me just ask you a few questions. First question, do you pray faithfully? Do you come to pray with God's people faithfully? Do you share the gospel with others faithfully? Are you discipling anyone? Is anyone discipling you? You see, we don't need a program to do any of those things. We just need to be faithful to do them. And I'll tell you, what I find in my own life is that these simple things are actually harder to do. That I would actually rather sometimes have some kind of program, have something out there that would make it easier in that sense. Because then I know I wouldn't have to be as committed to these other things. I think we all could probably say here tonight that if we were being faithful just in those simple, ordinary aspects of the Christian life, that it would make a vast difference, not only in our lives, but in the life of our church. i just share that with you as I was just thinking back through this entire series that we have been considering, this biblical framework for our evangelism. Tonight, we're going to come to, like I said, to the last piece of our puzzle, the frame that God has given us. And the last piece I have entitled, The Map for Our Evangelism. The Map for Our Evangelism. And as we think about the map, I'm saying this, what is the the road map? What is the guide? What is the strategy when it comes to evangelism? even evangelism in the church. And some of these things are some things that I have come to greater understand really over the last year or so in my walk with the Lord, in my studying of the Word of God. And I want to bring them to you tonight. And as we think about the map for evangelism, let's just first think about what I call the plan. God's plan. And in saying that, we're starting here in Genesis 1. Because I think this is where you should start to see God's plan. What was God's plan when he created man and placed him here on this earth? And we see it here in Genesis 1, where we're told in verse 26 that he said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This was God's plan. And notice, we can go over to chapter 2 where we have God just going back through. And we're back on, and chapter 2 is primarily on day 6 where God creates man. And he's going through how it is he created the man and he created the woman. And if you remember in that, he said that the, the, 
For this reason, in verse 24 of chapter 2, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this is how they were going to fill the earth. This is how they were going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So, beloved, what I'm saying to you is, is that when we look back at the creation and what God did, that God put man here to fill this whole earth, to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, but fill it under the wisdom and the lordship of God. Living by his wisdom, living in surrender to him, trusting him. That's what God desired. God desired this world, this earth, to be filled with men and women that loved him, that served him, that worshipped him, that walked with him, that fellowship with him. That's God's desire. So when we think about the plan, the map for our evangelism, we think about this was God's plan. Now sadly, we know what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Man falls. Man sins. And when sin enters the world, God in his grace obviously had a plan for the Redeemer who we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see how this world becomes so corrupt that eventually God floods this world and he destroys the entire world and he reshapes this world and he kills every single person that is alive on the face of the earth except for eight people. And those eight people then come out on the other side of the flood and on the other side of the flood they come off of the ark and they begin, especially the sons of Noah, they begin to have children. They begin, God gets the same mandate again. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. They're supposed to do it under the lordship of God. They know who God is. They have a relationship with God. This is something they're supposed to pass down to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren and they keep moving on and on and on. But again, we see mankind is corrupt. We have the descendants of Noah over in chapter 10. But we also know what happens then in chapter 11. The Tower of Babel. Where man in his rebellion against God decides to make a name for himself, to disobey God. And because of this, God scatters them throughout the earth. But he scatters them according to their families and according to their genealogies and by their nations and according to their land. So now we have folks that are scattered now throughout the world but God still has a plan, the plan of redemption. This is his, you want to say his plan of evangelism in that sense. And we pick it back up from creation there in Genesis 1 that's re- repeated there in the flood, after the flood in Genesis 9. And then we come to what I call the covenant. From creation to the covenant that is in Genesis 12, the covenant with Abraham or with Abram. And if you recall in that covenant, remember this. Go over to Genesis chapter 12. Again, just seeing the plan. Those folks in Genesis 11 wanted to make a name for themselves. God comes and approaches Abram, brings to him salvation, and tells him in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. 
and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the ones who curses you I will curse. And notice again, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Again, there's God's plan. God's plan now is through Abram and this nation and the people he's going to raise up for them to be a blessing to all of the other nations. And one of the main aspects of that blessing was the spiritual blessing of redemption. This is what God was wanting to do. We see that, how that the Davidic covenant and the new covenant all fit into what it is that God had designed and what God was desiring. But still we see God's desire was for all the families of the earth to be blessed. But that then when you come and we have all that throughout the Old Testament and then the next thing I would say is you then look at the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ. We pick it up now in the Gospels. And when you look at the coming of Christ, you see clearly that Jesus was coming to be the Savior. The Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. The the Savior of this world. And that He was coming and He would be the one that would lay down His life. He would be the one, the ultimate seed of Abraham. He would be the ultimate son of David. He would be the one promised there in Genesis chapter 3. The seed of the woman that would come and to bring the victory over the serpent. He is the one. But then, that brings us to where we are today. And just see how this fits. You think back to the Great Commission in the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew 28 and 19 and 20 where Jesus is now speaking to his disciples who are going to go out and see the church started, the the church founded, the church come to existence in that way. And what is the commission now that he gives to them? He says, go and make disciples, what? Of all the nations. Go make disciples of all the nations, all the people groups. And what I want you to see is this is even going back. You can tie that back in to Christ's coming. You can tie that back in to the covenant of Abraham. You can tie that back into God's plan even from the beginning at creation. This is God's plan. His plan is to reach all of the nations, all of the people groups. So this is the plan. But now I want us to think carefully through something. When we think about the map, the road map, the guide, the strategy. Because he doesn't just give us the plan. Then now we also want you to see he gives us what I call the principle of priority in this plan. You say, what do you mean by that? By the principle of priority, what I mean by that is that when you think about our evangelism, that in some sense there really there are two groups of people in this world. There are the Jews and the Gentiles. So we're either in some sense doing Jewish evangelism or we're doing Gentile evangelism. 
Now obviously within the groups of Gentiles, there are people from different nations and different people groups, but they all make up what are called the Gentile nations. And what I want you to see is that there was a principle here that we see that unfolds even from the Abrahamic covenant. Remember, God says, I'm going to bless you, Abram, and I'm going to bless the nation that comes from you, and then you go be a blessing to all the other nations. And that same principle even is here in the commission of what the Lord has given us to do. Just to see that, if you will now turn over to the book of Romans for just a moment. Turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And in Romans 1, Paul says in verse 15, So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. There's that principle of priority that we see there. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And again, remember, Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles, but yet he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because this gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, but to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. You see this priority plays itself out not only in salvation, but also in judgment. Go over to Romans chapter 2 for a moment. In Romans chapter 2, and verse 9, Paul says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Again, notice it's universal. It's for every soul of man who does evil, but it's of the Jew first, and also of the Greek But glory, it says in verse 10, and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first, and to the Greek. Now he goes on to describe in Romans chapter 3, and verse 9, where this Jew or Greek, they're all under sin. We're all, they're all in need of salvation. Every person, whether a Jew or Gentile, is in need of Christ. They're in need of salvation. He also goes on to say over in Romans chapter 10 that it doesn't matter who it is that calls on the name of the Lord. There is no distinction because he tells us in verse 11, whoever believes in Romans 10, 11, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is the promise of salvation to anyone and to everyone who will genuinely call on the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's a Jewish person or if it's a Gentile person. It doesn't matter if they genuinely see themselves as sinners and they genuinely confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and genuinely believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead and what all that means. They will be saved. Whoever believes in him, they won't be disappointed. But do you remember... Just think about this for Paul, this principle. If you go over to, 
You see this division again over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where he's talking about the wisdom of Christ. And he's talking about the word of the cross in verse 18. It's foolishness. To those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. And he goes on to say. More specifically in verse 22. That indeed the Jews are asking for signs. And Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews this is a stumbling block. And to Gentiles it's foolishness. But to those who are called. Both of Jews and Greeks. It's the power of God. And the wisdom of God. Notice again, he's saying, I understand when Paul understood when he went to preach the gospel that for the Jews that were hearing this, this was a stumbling block to them to hear about someone that's dying on a cross. They say, this person is cursed. Why in the world would we serve this person? Why would we believe in this person? And for the Greeks, for the Gentiles, they just thought this was downright foolishness, ignorance to be worshiping a dead God. And Paul knew that, but he just kept Staying true, as we talked about, to the means and the methods. He said, I'm still just going to preach Christ because those whom God calls, he says, it's going to be the power of God unto salvation for them. It doesn't matter whether they're a Jew or whether they're a Gentile. Look over in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. You see Paul... Where Paul has his liberties in Christ. But he says in verse 19, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more. And then he says, Now to the Jews, I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, is under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, that's referring to the Gentiles. As without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. You see... What's interesting, beloved, except for on one occasion, as far as I could find, it's interesting that when Paul talks about evangelism, and he's talking about whether it's people rejecting the gospel, it's people receiving the gospel, it's people being blessed because of the gospel, uh, he's using his liberties for the gospel, Paul tends to just about always go to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. And brother, what I want us to see from that, and we're going to see in a moment, is that in our practicing of evangelism, that we need to make sure that we are also just as concerned with the Jewish people and their coming to Christ. As J.C. Ryle once said, it is a duty incumbent on all Gentile Christians to use special efforts to promote the conversion of the Jews. Paul said the gospel is for the Jew first and then the Gentile. Now that's the principle of priority, but now let's just see how what I call the pattern of this priority being lived out. First, we're going to see it I believe in the ministry of Jesus. 
Go back, if you will, to the Gospel of Matthew, to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. In the coming of Christ, we've already established Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. Okay? He came to be the Savior of the world. But when you begin to look back at his ministry when he came the first time, his priority was first and foremost to the Jews. And then he spread out to the Gentiles. In Matthew chapter 10, where he has his 12 disciples. And in verse 5, he says, These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. Now notice what he says. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Don't even enter the city of the Samaritans. But rather just go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is what Jesus said for them to do. But now we know, if you recall, the woman at the well, what kind of woman was she? A Samaritan. So they went, you see him going to the Jews, but then he spreads it out, he's going to the Samaritans. And if you go back, in fact, go over there and look at that in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 4, in John chapter 4, and notice Jesus did this intentionally. And this is why this woman at the well is so shocked that a Jew is there in Samaria. Because when Jesus here is on his way, he says he left Judea and he's on his way to go to Galilee. The normal path for a Jewish person was to go around Samaria. They couldn't stand the Samaritans. They wanted to be, had nothing to do with the Samaritans. And it says there in John chapter 4 verse 3, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. That is, Jesus intentionally goes through Samaria because he's wanting now to bring the gospel to the Samaritans. And that's what he does with this woman at the well who then goes out and brings everyone there in the town to come and hear from Christ. Then, so if you think about this, here it is with the, with the Jews and he goes to the Samaritans and then we see, as we said a moment ago, you can go over to Matthew 28 and verse 19 and 20 and now he's telling his disciples, go into all the nations. You'll see the same pattern, beloved, if you look at the apostles. Acts chapter 1, go to Acts chapter 1. Remember, what did, what did Jesus tell them before he left? In Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, he said, It's not for you to know times or epochs when the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, all Judea, then Samaria, and then to the remotest part of the earth. And this is how we see it then unfolding in the book of Acts. It's there in Jerusalem among the Jewish people. And again, if you stop and you think about it, even on the day of Pentecost, do you know how the gospel is going to spread in so many different ways? It's going to be through the Jew. Well, you say, why is it going to be through the Jew? Because remember, on the day of Pentecost, all these Jewish people from different places are there and they, that are growing up in other places and they're hearing now Peter speak to them and he's speaking the gospel to them and they get saved. And they can go back and carry that gospel to where it is they came from. So then in Acts 
Chapter 8, we see the gospel spreads from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 10, it goes all out to the Gentiles through the person of Cornelius. And beloved, you see this again with Paul. Paul just said, we just read it a moment ago in Romans chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, anyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And understand, this is how Paul practiced evangelism. Go over to Acts chapter 13 for a moment. Go over to Acts chapter 13. And we see in verse 14 that he, he arrives at Pisidian Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And then Paul, after reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And Paul there speaking to the men of Israel. Now look at verse 43. When the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, and notice what they say, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. But since you repudiate it, you judge yourselves unworthy and in eternal life, behold, we're now going to turn to the Gentiles. It was necessary that they go to the Jews first. And notice Paul continues that, that thing because they leave there. Notice down in chapter 14, verse 1. In Iconium, they entered the synagogue of the Jews. He didn't just turn to the Gentiles there and say, okay, from here out, I'm just going to the Gentiles. No, he comes into Iconium and the first thing he does, he goes into the synagogue of the Jews. You can look over in chapter 17 of Acts and we, where we see him there. He comes to Thessalonica and it says in verse 2 that it was according to Paul's custom, he went to them, to the synagogue of the Jews. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Then you could come to the end of the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 28. He's now in Rome. And when he enters Rome in verse 16, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. And after three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together and began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. Go down to verse 23. 
When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him in his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemn testimony, testifying about the kingdom of God, and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others, others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing but will not understand. You will keep on seeing but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull and with their ears they scarcely hear and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in return and I would heal I would heal them therefore Paul says in verse 28 let it be known to you that this salvation has God of God has been sent to the Gentiles they will also listen and you see this pattern with Paul he stayed two full years there and kept preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and he was unhindered. Say, so, well, why, why are you bringing this to our attention? Well, I want to bring this to your attention for this purpose. And it comes to what I call the practicing of this priority. And that is because of this. As I said a moment ago. Because I think that we need to make sure as we go out and evangelize and we share the gospel and as we support ministries and do all the things that we do, we need to make sure that we're also going to be just as intentional wanting to see those who are of, of Jewish heritage coming to Christ. They're in need of Christ. I know there are some who teach that they're not in need of Christ, but they're in need of Christ. If you don't understand that or believe that, just go back to the Gospels. Who is it that Jesus was saying, you're in your sins, and if you die in your sins, you're going to go and spend your eternity in hell? It's the Jewish people. It's the Jews of his day that were rejecting him. Who is it that's causing all the problems or most of the problems for the apostles and for Paul? It's the Jews. It's the Jews that Paul said they're storing up wrath for themselves because not only are they not willing to come to Christ, they're trying to hinder other people from coming to Christ. And Paul would understand that because that was his life before he came to Christ. He was someone who had advanced beyond anyone else in persecuting the church and trying to wipe the gospel off of the face of the earth. But he knew God had saved him and Paul had this passion to see even his brethren coming to Christ. And what I'm saying is I think sometimes we have forgotten we're supposed to also evangelize the Jews. That they need the gospel. And it needs to be a priority. It needs to be something that we're willing to do. Now for us, most likely, there's... I doubt there's a very large Jewish community that lives here in the community of Gina. But beloved, what I would say is all, we need to make sure though that we are going to be supporting those uh, ministries that are out there that are legitimate, that are going to be f- really focusing in on reaching the Jewish people. Because if the gospel was for them first, and we're not even going to take the gospel to them, I think we're getting outside the plan of God. Now again, God's plan is to reach all people. But we've seen it from the 
covenant that God made with Abraham to even the coming of Christ, then to the commission, how it was carried out by the apostles, and how this was functioning. We need to make sure that we are following the same plan, the same pattern, the same practice that they were. As the Apostle Paul says over in the book of Romans, in Romans 15, in verse 25, he says, But now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so. They are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. They're, they're indebted to, to minister to them. So, beloved, all I want, just want to encourage you to think about tonight is one, when we think about God's plan, when we think about evangelism, when we think about the commission that God has given, that it ties all the way back in to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. That it was always God's plan for this world to be filled with people that loved and honored him. That just, they loved him. They surrendered to him. They walked according to his wisdom. They walked and lived under the lordship of God. But sadly, man rebelled. But we're just wanting to go out, proclaim the gospel. But as we do this, we see that God had a, a plan and a principle how this would be carried out. And I just want to make sure that we're going to remain faithful to that principle and not forget that all the blessings that we have in that sense have come really from the Jewish community. I mean, all the apostles were Jews. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was a son of Abraham, a son of David. And so we want to be faithful to that as well. So I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.